Hi, I'm Doris and I'm a journalist. Kia ora, I'm TA and I'm a marine biologist. Together we want to raise awareness for our marine environment and support restoring the abundance of the ocean. We are giving the ocean a voice. Come sail with us, join the journey. Yora and welcome to another Nomad Ocean episode. Episode. Episode number. Well, we're not going to number them because we, we don't. don't know when we're going to post them, so you can hear them. So we don't count. So today we wanted to talk about um, sea mammals and um, yeah, big ships. Yeah, we had a big ship. Uh, that collected a sea mammal on the way into Tauranga Harbour here yesterday. Yeah, so it was a bride's whale, right? Which was caught on the bow of the ship and the animal was already dead uh, when it came to the harbour. So there's still a little bit of a mystery of how they actually could collect the animal and how they could um, yeah, take it and, uh, and, and what to do with it. Yeah, so they suspect that the animal might have already been dead when the ship struck the the bride's whale. And that's because usually whales kind of will try and move away. Um, but this is a, this is, it's really funny because this is actually quite a common occurrence. Um, these big container ships with the with the bowels with the extension bow extensions on them actually collecting whales and and coming into port with whales stuck on them and it's really funny because reading the comments on the um on the news articles they are all saying how oh well you know we've i've been on a ship and we've tried you know for 20 minutes to try and dislodge a whale that's been 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 stuck on the on the bow of their boat mainly because they can actually they they reduce the the efficiency of the of the ship so they want to get rid of the animal <laughs> okay well because it well, increases the cost of, yeah. of the fuel that they're having to use okay. in order to but we're not talking about a small creature here we're talking like the the news article says it's about 12 to 14 meters long i mean yeah. that's like a big animal how is it possible that they can that can be caught well, on a container ship. Yeah, I'm, it's I'm kind of just... like it's kind of like having kahu stuck to the front of your boat. So that's yeah, kind of exactly. <laughs> Our boat kahu is like uh, eight meters long. So yeah, just just us being stuck on a bow of a container ship. Yeah. But yeah. Not 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 a pleasant thing. Um, and actually, just on that, we've come we've come really close to ships at night. Uh, yes. Sailing at night and. It's that it, you know they're quite they're loud and they're quite intimidating and you don't really want to be around them because so how, they're also moving quite quickly. Yeah. So how does it happen? How is it possible that sea mammals like whales can get caught? Like if if the the noise and I mean the, the ship, as you said, is quite frightening. 
Yeah, I, I, well, we only speculate for starters. So, so we we don't really know the specifics of how um, whales kind of come into contact with these large ships. Um, we do know that ship strikes are common, and we do know that, and especially with smaller power boats. So, I mean, boats that are less than ten meters long will likely you know, have a higher chance, let's let's put it this way, has a higher chance of striking a marine mammal, either a, a whale or a dolphin or a large, you know, a, a, a toothed whale, which is kind of the dolphin, a dolphin slash whale, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. a large dolphin. Yeah. I yeah. mean, you're talking about killer whales, you're talking about um, beaked whales, um, which fall into the dolphin category because they've got they they the the toothed, but they're also um, they're also very large. So I I mean you know upwards of five between five and ten meters mm, long, mm. which is a big animal. Mm-hmm. Come on, let's yeah. be let's be honest. You you really don't want to hit one of these animals at twenty five knots because you're going to do especially if you have got a ply or a fiberglass boat. You're probably going to do a little bit of damage. Yeah. Um, but more so is is that you're doing damage to the whale. Yes, of course. No, no, no. So, yeah, I, so I was actually the, thinking of the, the damage tal- to the whale, not to the damage of the boat. But like, how 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 frequently does that happen? I mean, you say it's not really proven how it happens, but like, how frequently does it happen? Well, reports are very scarce around around this. So the, we've got a Department of Conservation that manage marine mammals um, and manage human interactions with marine mammals. And you're, you're supposed to report strikes on marine mammals. You're supposed to. But okay. the likelihood of a recreational boaty reporting those strikes on marine mammals is pretty low. Mm-hmm. Um, unless he's done damage, like like terminal damage to his vessel. Yes. Either he's, he's struck it with his prop and his prop's fallen off, or he's struck it and hold his boat, or um, he's he's had to ring for recovery from a coast guard or a um, or a search and rescue sort mm. of incident where they have to actually report the incident. But that's just because of insurance reasons mainly then, right? Well, insurance reasons and there's a duty... That the oh. coast guard has to has to follow the protocols. That sure. okay, so how did this incident yes, happen? Sure, sure. You, you struck you yes. struck a whale. Mm, All right, mm. so we'll report this to the Department of Conservation. There's actually no real unless it's malice or it's you know purposeful. There's like, and this this has happened. I mean, people have been taken and prosecuted for purposely harming marine life. Which is kind of interesting because the activities that, that most of us conduct in the marine space is all about purposely harming marine life. Anyhow, exactly. So, like so, fishing is nothing else. And, yeah. yeah. So, so it, it is kind of interesting that, that, that we, have, um, we have kind of like this double standard. And, and I call it the cute and cuddly effect. Not that whales are cute or cuddly because they're actually kind of... I don't know. People just have an affinity to to marine mammals and marine birds, but and the fish effect, which seems to be like, oh well, fish are below us. 
fish, oh, yeah. you know. Mm, there, yeah. There's that there's that kind of relationship with fish that that oh well, I mean they're stupid, they're dumb, they're all these sort of things, and and really it's it's kind of unjustified because. Mm. Fish are extraordinary creatures, and if we look back at our lineage as humans, you know, we actually came out mm. of the ocean, and we were once possibly bony fish too. Mm. But it's true, I mean, whenever you see images of dolphins, for example, being harmed, or when you see um, uh, sea lions on shore dead, or, you know, then everyone is like, oh my god, or the turtle... But, like, fish, you catch fish and that's totally normal because, I mean, that's a intention Yeah. a lot of people share. Uh, but going back to, this, to, the, to the danger for mammals um, to be hit by boats, for example, or, like, what are the dangers in the ocean for sea mammals? Is this a really realistically big danger? Well... To- be hit by a boat for example sadly yeah i mean boats move extraordinarily fast in the ocean mm. um and they're, and they're moving faster and faster as technology grows mm. I, you know we go back 30 years ago and doing 10 knots you know 10 15 knots was fast and 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 now we kind of like well if you don't go 30 knots you're not really you're not really going anywhere We go below 13 knots, we go around seven, and that's really fast for us. <laughs> well, well, sailing yes, and yachts no, are, yeah, are, are, yeah. are still kind of, I mean, they're still bound by the, by the, by the elements, but I'm, I'm more discussing the, the powerboats um, and, and, and ships. So our, the container ships can go an ex, you know, up around you know, 20 to 30 knots, mm. pretty, pretty easily cruising. Uh, the power launchers, the, the 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 big boats that are moored down the other end mm. here, all will do over 30 knots. And that gives them, one, it gives them range, so they, they, they're going further. Yeah. And two, it, it gives them a lot more, um, they see a lot more water, mm. essentially. So, so, so they're traveling further and they're, and they're traveling on a, on a higher, higher, higher frequency in the water. And so that's increasing the the interactions with marine mammals and and bird life and 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 the rest because they they're basically, I mean they're there. Mm. So reducing speed and limiting speed is an appropriate method of preventing killing um, mammals, for yeah. example, or birds. And we've and we've seen that in some places already mm. especially here well here in New Zealand and I think also over in is it the east coast of, of America there's that the Starwagon um, marine sanctuary and here in New Zealand in the Hauraki Gulf we've seen these um, these establishments of speed limits so vessels in the Hauraki Gulf can only um, travel or the large vessels the the big vessels travel less than um 14 knots is it or i think it's 10 knots i read 10 mm. knots yes so so they've they've reduced the speed limit in order to give whales the opportunity to get out of the way mm. kind of i mean it's it's significantly reduced um marine mammal strikes but how we kind of, how we apply that 
across other areas um, could be pretty interesting in the future. You know, from from a perspective going four knot, uh, going f- you know fifteen knots or going ten knots, it's much of a muchness. But these things happen quite frequently, and and if we think about you know marine mammals as being an endangered species, i.e., imagine if it collected a blue whale. Mm. You know, or it collected a southern right whale. Well, but even these brides whale are not that frequent anymore. Like they speak about two hundred in the Hariki Gulf or something like that. Yeah. I yeah, yeah <laughs> I'm just mentioning and going back to this article. Yeah. Yeah. So so I mean marine mammals are declining and we mm. and we know that, that it's contributed to the fact of the resource availability. But yeah, we've got to become more conscious that that that, that we still want to have access to all this great plastic stuff from China, but at the same token, we really need to to look at how we how we get it here. And is it a, you know could it be acceptable that we have you know that takes an extra day? So less container ships, and if container ships at a not that high speed. Yeah, if we could reduce the speed mm. limits and reduce the, the, the strikes on whales, all round does that mean that we end up, you know, like, one, it's cheaper for the boat to run because obviously less speed means means less fuel being used. Two, it's better for the for the environment and for the whales and, and the other marine mammals that, that may interact with them. Is it going to be acceptable, though, that the the cost of it is that we don't have products as overnight f- overnight yeah. or as frequent mm. as frequently as we might have w- thought or wanted, mm. and that's really really the balancing point. Um, on the other note, I think we'll finish. We're going to we're going to either tack on the or wrap it up with a conversation. Yeah, with a conversation from Rochelle, who's a marine mammal expert in um, Auckland, and they did a piece to National Radio, and it really discusses how they came to a voluntary speed limit on the Hauraki Gulf, and and how how that works, and and some details around that. Yeah, and how they actually communicated, and like the whole community realized that it's only beneficial for actually all of them. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what cost seems benefits. to be what seems to be a limitation actually expanded their experience. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so hold on and and enjoy the the conversation. It's just and, like three minutes or something. Yeah, really and short. we we might put a link to the the whole panel mm. discussion as well, so that you can um, you can tap into that too. Because I study big charismatic megafauna, I am a shameless user of those to talk about more important issues in the ocean. And, and I think that's really important for, for scientists is, is to using our messages or finding the thing that resonates with different audiences to get the message across. And I think that's really critical. Um, and that comes on us as, say, a scientific community and communicating our sciences is if you can't do it, is finding someone who can do it for you and pitching 
what you have to say in ways that it does appeal to, you know, a, a, a farmer, a, a fisher, a vegan, a, you know, a carnivore. It doesn't matter, but that it, you find things that resonate with different people. I think we cannot rely on individuals to make conscious decisions because we are mostly social beasties. So that's one thing that can be exploited really well is you might not entirely agree, but we will generally go along with the gang. So, you know, if you get enough people together hearing information together in a social group and you can, you know, find that that core values system, you know, as Dan says, or actually inherently what it is to be human, you will often find people will make the right decision. So then it's harnessing that and making it happen. You know, and, and Auckland's a, a great example. So climate change, one of our biggest things. Who here has sat stuck in traffic in a car recently? I would argue pretty much everyone or on a bus stuck in amongst all the cars, right? So that is a big climate change issue. Our local government and then our national government needs to make it that that doesn't happen. So collectively we want better transport, we want public transport, we want clean transport, whatever it might be. That is a solution to climate change. So we've kind of got these really interesting layers of things that go on. I want to get from A to B fast and, and the fastest way to do it is in my car, now I'm stuck in traffic. Oh and by the way I feel a bit bad about climate change. But if there was a solution we want better solutions. We kind of want to do the right thing. So as a collective of people, we must get to together in collectives because collectively we often make better decisions than we do as individuals. And then that hopefully forces higher government level or international agreement level to make the change. So, But I do think it's really important that we understand what it is to be human and that is being social and is being part of a community and that's where you know Māori if you know and, and I know Māori are struggling to to um, sometimes redefine this or truly articulate what it is to be Māori and to be a collective of people because that's what's most important is being a collective of people a single Māori is is nothing it's it's the whānau it's the whole of the people. All right. Uh, well, till till we meet again. <laughs> See ya. Kakite. Thanks for diving in and jumping on board. If you like what you heard, give us a hand and support us on our website, nomadocean.org. Curtains, cause all we need is candlelight, you and me, and the bottle of wine.